Okay, I want you to open your Bible today. We are a Bible-believing church here. We do a lot of verse-by-verse studies in Scripture. Not everything, but a lot of what we do is that way. And we are currently in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And the theme of 1 Timothy is God's blueprint for the church. How is the church, the local church, and even the body of Christ supposed to be? How are we to function? What kind of mindset, qualities, characteristics, attributes are we supposed to have? What is the framework of what we are supposed to believe? How are we supposed to live in light of all those things? It's all here. It's all here. Years ago, there was a commercial for Prego sauce. And there was all these, I think they were Italians, bantering back and forth in the kitchen. And they kept, it's in there, it's in there, it's in there. Guess what? It's in here. It's in the Word of God, what we need to know. 1 Timothy chapter 3, just a kind of a, a quick running start into our verse. Verse 14, these things write I unto thee, what things? Paul has been talking about the qualifications of church leadership and how the church is to have order in it to accomplish its work effectively. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, the house of God is not this building. The house of God is the family of God, all right? Now, there is the church all over the world, and then there is the local church, and God wants us as part of the body of Christ to be involved in the local church, if at all possible, if you have a church to be involved in. He wants us to be involved in that local church as it carries out the Great Commission, and he wants us to be careful how we live. That's what verse 15 is talking about. As Christians, be careful how you live. It's important that you live the way you should as a believer. Those of us who are parents, whether your children are grown up and gone or not, or whether you've still got them at home, maybe you're just having children at this point, You know, what is your desire? As Christian parent, your desire should be that your children behave themselves. And the truth is this, that whether it's true or not, your children are to some extent a reflection to the people watching, a reflection of you, right? Well, folks, listen, God is perfect. And he's righteous and he's godly and he's holy and he's pure and he's all of those things. God is love. God is justice. God is gracious. All of these things. Well, how does he want his children to behave themselves? He wants us to manifest his character to the world in which we live. He doesn't want us to live like we're not saved. He wants us to live like we're children of God, children of the king, ambassadors for Christ. And that's what he's meaning when behave yourself And we all ought to do that as believers in Christ, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now, why would verse 16 follow a verse challenging believers to behave ourselves? Well, we're going to answer that, and then we're going to look into some of the details of why this is so profound of a statement. 
this issue of the mystery of godliness, okay? So why would verse 16 follow this? Well, because we have, folks, listen, we have the most important truth of all time and eternity. God has deposited into our trust the truth of Christianity. And it is the truth. Do we understand that? This is very important. Verse 16 is the foundation on why we as believers are to live the lives God wants us to live. He wants us to behave ourselves. Why? Because we are the ones who carry the only way of salvation, the truth of God, to the world. So he doesn't want our behavior to discredit the message that we have to proclaim. That's what it comes down to. Our Christian faith is not based on hearsay. It is based on truth and facts and history, real life history. If it wasn't based on facts, especially the resurrection of Christ, then there is really no reason for us to live godly lives and behave ourselves. If Christianity is a sham, then let's just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Let's just go out and live a life of the flesh. But if it's true, the living for Christ and the gospel is vital. Because, folks, what that brings into it, it brings into it the issues of heaven and hell. If the truth of Christianity is a fact, and it is, then there is heaven, there is hell. People are going there. Everybody who dies either goes to heaven or to hell. And both of them are forever if Christianity is true. And it is true. How do you know that? Jesus came back from the dead. That's how we know that. Here's what it's getting at. If it's true, then there's no reason, no real reason. Well, if it's not true, then there's no real reason to live godly lives for Christ and the gospel. But it is true, therefore it's without controversy. In other words, why even argue the point? We have the truth. We know it's the truth. The resurrection of Christ proves it's the truth as well as prophecy fulfilled. The way the Bible is put together, it is a supernatural book. You look out and you see creation. It is creation. It wasn't the Big Bang. The only thing that exploded is the brain of people who believed in the Big Bang. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Take it back. Nah, I'm not going to take it back. Sorry. Folks, listen, all you got to do is look around. You see order. We have the truth. Our God is real. And it is a mystery. Why does it say great is the mystery of godliness? It is a mystery in that it was not fully realized or experienced until Jesus Christ came and fulfilled his ministry on planet earth. A mystery in the Bible is a truth not understood until the proper time. It's a fact that's there, but it just hasn't been manifested yet. That's, that's a Bible concept of a mystery. It isn't God's holding something back from us or keeping us from understanding something we're pursuing. No, he just hasn't revealed it. But it was revealed in his son, his life and ministry. Now, why is the mystery of godliness so great? You notice it says great is the mystery of godliness. Well, think about it. Think about it. Why is it so great? Because of what was accomplished through Jesus Christ. What an awesome fact. Listen, I want you today to revisit when you got saved. What an awesome fact that God would love fallen man and that he, God himself, would come and take on flesh. God 
would come and enter the human race in time and space and take on flesh. And that he himself would go to the cross and purchase through his death on the cross our eternal redemption by taking on the very thing that he abhors the most. The very thing that is so completely contrary to his nature. Sin. And that he would come back from the dead to prove it all and to fulfill everything that had been said about him. Why is the mystery of godliness so great? Well, think about it. On top of all that, it is a great thing how a man can become a child of God and God himself, who we've been talking about, God created the world. God himself in space and time entered the human race. He walked among us. He lived here. More about it in just a minute. Went to the cross, did what he did on the cross, came back from the dead. And now anybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, comes to live inside the bodies he created. And he lives inside every believer. It's pretty great. That's pretty great. It's actually miraculous. It is because Jesus is alive that we who are saved can live with the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in our lives and be transformed into godly people. Corrupt rebels. People hell deserving. That's all of us, by the way. We all deserve to go to hell. But God would so love us that he would provide for us the means of salvation because outside of him doing it, we have no hope. There is no way. His justice must be satisfied. Hold your place here and turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5 in verse 21. I think, you know, we have Isaiah 53, 6 in the Old Testament. We've got 2 Corinthians 5, 21 in the New. Both of them really are a picture of the exact same thing. Isaiah, though, that's 600 plus years before Jesus ever came to earth. And it prophesies and it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. Well, who was he? What was his name? No one knew until he came, did what he did. And it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he, God, hath made him... Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, the one who knew no sin, that was Jesus, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's an amazing statement. Look up here. This is you and me. My wallet represents our sin. Here we are. We are all sinners. If Jesus had not come, every single person ever conceived would die and spend forever in conscious torment and hell. But God says, no, I love you so much. I hate your sin, but I love you. I don't want you to, to go there. But you see, folks, there's nothing in us that we can do about this. We are under the penalty. The only way we could get out from paying for our sin is for somebody to die as a substitute, pay the bill, so to speak, so we don't have to pay the bill. Okay, the wages of sin is death. So somebody would have to die in my place and pay my debt so I don't have to do it. Would God accept that arrangement? Yes, he's the one who came up with it. To manifest how much he loves us. 
And that's what he did because there's nothing we could do to save ourselves. If we pay for our sin, we'll spend forever separated from God, yet we can't go to heaven with it. Heaven's a perfect place. Good works won't take it away. Going to church, being baptized, you got to be sinless to get into heaven. None of us are, therefore your good works are of no value. So God says, I love you so much. As Dr. Arnold says, I love you so much, I'd rather die than live without you. And that's what he did. God, the creator, Jesus himself, came to earth, went to the cross, took all of our sin upon himself, and he died in our place. And the wrath of God was poured out on him, so it's not poured out on us. Jesus took care of it on the cross. He was buried. He came back from the dead. He says, believe that. Believe I did that for you. The moment you do, I give you everlasting life. Once you have it, you have it forever. You're saved forever. You can never be lost. All your sin has been taken care of. Therefore, there's no, there's no payment for you to make if you accept the payment Jesus made. For he, God, hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When you trust in Christ, the payment Jesus made is good on your behalf. All sin is done, been paid for. And you go to heaven on what Christ has done for you. Great is the mystery of godliness. Now back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is amazing, verse 16. We see in verse 16 where it says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. In verse 16, we see the whole life of Christ outlined in one verse, as well as the entire plan of man's redemption. It's amazing. So we're going to break this down and look at it. And children of God, just bask and rejoice in your salvation today. This is awesome. The first thing we see is the incarnation. God was manifest in the flesh. The incarnation, it's not a flower, and it's not a breakfast drink. You remember instant breakfast? I love those. On top of breakfast, of course. God was manifest in the flesh. See, Jesus is God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He had no beginning, but he did enter into the human race in time and space. This not only speaks of his birth, but of his life and mission. He came to die to pay for our sins. Look with me over to John chapter 1, and we see this, the incarnation. It says in John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning... It's before anything had been made. There was only eternity. The beginning represents, I believe, the beginning of time, as it can be measured only by God, of course. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, the Word. Speaking of Jesus, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. So in the beginning, there is Jesus. Jesus did not come into existence when Mary became pregnant. Jesus has always existed. His human body came into existence when Mary became pregnant. 
Verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. First John chapter four and verses nine and 10, it puts it this way. In this was manifest the love of God toward us because that God sent, I love that term, God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the satisfactory payment for our sins. God was manifested in the flesh. He was sent to the world. God the son, the second person of the Trinity, was sent by the father into the world to be our savior. He had a mission And what did he do? He came and he died, which leads us to our second point back in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. He was not only manifested in the flesh, that speaks of his incarnation, but secondly, we see the resurrection. It says Christ was justified in the spirit. Justified in the spirit. The entire Godhead was involved in raising Jesus back from the dead. Did you know that? You might say, well, Jesus wasn't involved in raising himself from the dead. Yes, he was. He actually said he would be. Before we get there in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, it says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, isn't that interesting? He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. The spirit of him, the Holy Spirit was involved in raising Jesus from the dead. Now, as I mentioned just a minute ago, in John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus said this. And by the way, I love all the Gospels. I think John, maybe because I'm a Gentile, John just speaks to me. And it's so Gospel-centered, isn't it? And I love when Jesus, in boldness, you know, there are some people who say, Jesus never really claimed to be God. Let me tell you something, friend. You're missing the whole thrust of the Gospels. Listen, they would not have crucified him had he not been doing that. Yes, he did claim to be God over and over. They knew what he was saying. The only ones who don't get it is us. The false teachers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection, by the way. That's why they were Sadducee. But... um. They got it. Jesus said in John 2, 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple, referring to his body. And in three days, what did he say? I will raise it up. You might say, wait a minute. If he's dead, how can he raise himself up? His body was dead. Jesus never ceased to exist. Okay? People say today, well, Jesus died spiritually. What do you mean by that? He never ceased to be the son of God. He never ceased to be the son of God. He paid for our sins. He suffered the consequences of that, yes. But he never ceased to be the son of God. He was always the son. Even in the grave, his body was in the grave, right? He was still very much alive. And so to raise up his own body, which is an amazing, mind-blowing fact, but to say, I'm going to raise myself up, destroy my body. Three days, I'll raise myself up. They knew what he was saying. That's why they objected so strongly. 
Jesus not only died, but he literally and physically came back from the dead. This was for our justification or so that we could be declared righteous. When we put our faith in Christ, in Romans 4.25, it says, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Jesus came back from the dead to prove victory over death. And only one who has conquered death can offer life. And so he came back from the dead to prove that sin had been paid for, that his payment was satisfactory. That's what a propitiation is. And his resurrection proved that God was satisfied. The Father and the Spirit were satisfied with the work of the Son on our behalf. This is an amazing truth. Amazing truth. He was raised again for our justification, or he was raised from the grave so that if we trust Christ by faith, we can be declared as righteous. That's what justification is. That's amazing. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. That's his incarnation. Secondly, Christ was justified in the spirit. That's his resurrection. Third, we see the manifestation Where is that? He was seen of angels. Now, there's some debate on what this is referring to. Here's what I believe. I believe this refers to the time of the resurrection and thereafter. Do you remember when they went to the tomb? Who was there? Angels were there. Angels witnessed the resurrection. Now, I know they didn't give high fives back then, probably, but... Can't you just see it when the stone is rolled away? Those angels? Ah, Yeah, this is great. Here it is. We've waited millennia for this to take place. And those angels were there and they saw God in the flesh walk out of the tomb. Okay, now listen. The stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. Okay, that was to let us in. Jesus came back from the dead. Matthew chapter 28. Turn there with me. Matthew chapter 28. In verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door that sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers, Roman guards, did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Listen, why would they invite them in? Because he was in fact raised from the dead. And we can... Make this known to the world, folks. This, this, we have a risen Savior. Everything he said was true. We know he is the way, the truth, and the life. Which if you go back to 1 Timothy now, it says, it says he not only was seen of angels, all right? He was not only seen then when he came back from the dead and then they rolled the stone away, but he was obviously seen for the rest of his life here on earth, those 40 days afterwards when he did amazing things. You know, many times we talk about the witnesses. I just realized this, thinking out loud here. 
Many times we talk about the witnesses who saw Jesus after his resurrection. What about the angels? They're witnesses. They're eyewitnesses. He was seen of angels. He was seen of angels, but number four, we see the declaration, preached unto the Gentiles. This is exciting. Now, remember the progression we have. God was manifested in the flesh, the incarnation. We see the resurrection. Christ was justified in the spirit. We see the manifestation. He was seen of angels. Number four, the declaration, preached unto the Gentiles. Folks, if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then it only makes sense for us to devote our lives to making him known. It only makes sense because the bold claims of Jesus are in fact true. There is heaven, there is hell. He's the only source of heaven. He's the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. This is not a day for us to say, well, you know what, I better keep my mouth shut or government agents will come to my house. It's a time for us to say, come to my house. Let me tell you about Christ. Let me tell you what you need. You need eternal life because without Jesus, you'll never see God. And I don't want that for you and neither does God. And that's why he sent his son. Folks, this is the time for us to declare it. That's why Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, by the way, Mark 16, 15, he had already come back from the dead. Therefore, he had, it made total sense for him to say to these disciples, there he was resurrected. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Why? Because <laughs> it's true, that's why. Because it's the way of salvation. That's why Paul said in Acts 13, 38, 39, be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which you cannot be justified by the law of Moses. Boldness. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Paul says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the good news, the gospel which I preached unto you, which you have also received wherein you stand. Our message is one of good news. People need good news today, folks. Well, it'll be better news if the Republicans get in. <laughs> Listen, quit. The answer to the problems of the world is Jesus Christ. Now listen, I hope they would do better than the incompetent people we have in office now. But the truth of it is, whenever they get in office, it doesn't seem like anything changes. I'm just being honest. If progress means things are getting better, then what does Congress mean? Progress, progress, Congress. Anyway. I'm concerned about it. I said, well, that, you shouldn't say it, Pastor. It's kind of insulting. Listen, then do your job. Anybody in government, I know, you know, no one's going to hear me. You are not there to do what you think. You are there to represent your constituents. You are there to serve the people who elected you. You're not there to run with your own agenda. You're to be a public servant, not a mass of dictators. That's not government. And every person who serves in government, like all of us, is going to give an account to God one day as they stand before him. They're going to verbally answer for what they've done and how they've been. 
back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, the next phrase, we saw number four was the declaration. Number five, the acceptation. Believed on in the world. (laughs) How are people going to believe unless they hear what they're supposed to believe, right? It is only through faith alone in Christ alone that a person can be saved. Believed on in the world. What is God wanting us to do with the good news of Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, paying for our sin, coming back from the dead? What does he want us to do? He wants us to believe it. This is what the world needs to understand. Oh no, I think the answer is in my religion. No, it's not. I don't care what religion you are. The answer is not in your religion. The answer is found in Jesus Christ. That's why it's called Christianity. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. What a beautiful story this is. Here is Paul and Silas in jail. There are others there as well. It's midnight. They've been beaten up. Things are not in a good situation where they're at. Acts 16. So here they are, and it's midnight, and they're singing. And so there's an earthquake. Things are shaken up, no pun intended. And um, the jailer comes in. He is shaken up, and he falls down, and he says to them this, verse 30, and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He knows what they stand for. They've been talking and singing about it. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now listen, folks, listen. Those of you who believe in faith plus works to be saved, listen what he said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. They could have told him anything. They could have said, well, you need to believe and get baptized. You need to believe and behave yourself. You need to believe and make promises. You need to believe with a commitment to be a Christ follower all the days of your life. You need to believe and do this and believe and do that. No, all they said was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's all they said. Now listen, they either told them the truth or they didn't. There's no in-between People today, some preachers, well, they told them what they told them was true, but it just wasn't everything. Well, then they deceived him. They left him lost. They left him lost. If there was more to it, then they left him lost because they didn't tell him about the other things. This is serious. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Yeah, you know what, folks? When we do the declaration then people understand when we declare the gospel to the lost and dying world, then people understand what their response needs to be. And it is simply this. Will you believe that he did that for you? Will you put your faith in him that he did that for you? Even John the Baptist had it. He said, well, that John the Baptist, he preached a a different, different way of salvation. Really? I don't think so. Let me show this to you. Turn with me to John chapter 3. See, John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, made it very clear in John chapter 3. In the context, it's very clear that he's the one speaking. Now, Jesus, of course, spoke in John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18 and so forth. Jesus was speaking there. I say, how do you know that? It's it's in red letter. No. (laughs) I can read. That's how I know that. I can read. It's a good thing. But Jesus is not speaking in verse 36 because it's no longer in red letter. No, that's not why. It's because the passage is continuing. And here's what John says. John the baptizer says this. 
He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Isn't that clear? It's the same thing Paul told the jailer. It's the same thing Jesus said in John chapter 6. It's the same thing Peter says throughout the book of Acts. Go to chapter, by the way, don't go there now, but Acts chapter 10 when he's talking there and all the Cornelius group is, is there gathered together and he comes and when you look there, it sounds exactly like what Paul would say. The condition has never changed. It's faith alone in Christ alone that brings salvation. So what do we see going back to 1 Timothy? I told you there was a lot in this verse. 1 Timothy 3.16, we saw the incarnation, God was manifested in the flesh. We saw the resurrection, Christ was justified in the spirit. We saw the manifestation, he was seen of angels. We saw the declaration, he's preached unto the Gentiles. And number five, we see the acceptation, believed on in the world. And one more, we see the ascension, received up into glory received up into glory. You see that in 1 Timothy 3.16. Go with me to Acts chapter 1. Jesus gave some final words here to his disciples in Acts chapter 1. They had questions. When are you going to restore the kingdom, Lord? Well, they knew it was coming. He'd come back from the dead. They'd been walking with him for 40 days. They knew he was alive. They knew it was real. They knew it was true. So they're Jewish. They're thinking still in terms of the kingdom, not the church. They didn't know what the church was. It was a, it was a mystery. It was a truth not revealed yet. And so he told them basically, listen, that's not for you to know at this point. Here's what you need to know. Shortly, the Holy Spirit's going to come. You're going to receive power and you shall be witnesses unto me. I want you to share the message. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, it says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Now, this is a reference to the second coming of Christ at the end of the tribulation period. Remember, the rapture hadn't been explained at this point. That's not what it's referring to. This is referring to the second coming back to earth. But we know that for us today who live in the church age, We know for the church that the rapture is going to take place first, before the tribulation. So we see the ascension. Jesus leaving, the angels say he's going to come back just like he left. Where did he leave from? He left from the Mount of Olives in full view. Where's he coming back to? Zechariah tells us he's coming back to the Mount of Olives in full view. Literal, exact fulfillment of what the angel said. That's not rapture. Because at the second coming, every eye will see him. But the rapture, the only ones who are going to see the Lord is believers. Those of us who have put our faith in Christ. So folks, here you go. We have every reason to behave ourselves. 1 Timothy 3.15. 
Why? Because we have the truth. Jesus Christ is real. He is God who entered the human race, went to the cross, paid for our sins, rose from the grave, declared on in the world, received up into glory. He said he's coming back in John 14, which is rapture talk. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, heaven, there you may also be. That's rapture. That's not second coming to earth. That's rapture. That's for us. That's for us. And he is coming. And so what do we need to do? Well, we need to be part of his plan and know, listen, it's without controversy. The greatness of our message, which we know, which is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the death, burial, and resurrection, and all you need to do is believe. That is our ministry to share with the world while we're waiting for him to come. Not live in fear, not go hide in the woods someplace and eat rations. It's to boldly, lovingly, but boldly share the gospel with the lost world in which we live. And if persecution comes, folks, it's not the end. We have eternity to look forward to. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Isn't that good news? If you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to put your faith in Him today. It's not a matter of becoming some part of a denomination. It's a matter of you becoming a believer, a Christian. And you can only do that by faith alone in Christ alone. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.